Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Well, I figured if he got some jokes in at my expense, uh, you all need to know, uh, my name is Luke, and uh, I've been a friend of Monty's for a long time, and when you see him, he looks nice, doesn't he, with, the, with his like shirt all buttoned up all the way to the top, his tie, his hair combed over. When I met your preacher, though, he looked a lot more like that, so I just figured it was my civic duty to let you all know uh, the, the, the real man who is sharing God's word with you uh, each and every week. Uh, like Monty said, my name is Luke, and it is just such a deep joy to get to be here with you today. We love getting to and to celebrate with Monty and Whitney yesterday, though. Although, I will just admit this morning, I'm a little bit tired today. Is anybody else tired in the room this morning? All right, I think, I th- I think we can sympathize with one another. Had all those wedding festivities yesterday, and, and then, you know, went back to the hotel after everything, and I just got to tell you, I didn't sleep all that well last night because I actually had a dream that I died. Have you ever had those dreams before? It was an incredibly strange experience. I had this dream that I died, and in my dream, after I passed away, I was walking up this long staircase all the way to heaven. I mean, this incredibly long stairway, and I'm not as fit as I used to be. I've got the dad body thing going on, you know, three kids. Monty will get there someday. He's not there yet, but, but I'm chugging up these stairs, and I'm, I'm starting to pant, and I'm starting to, to lose my breath until finally I just, I, I couldn't make it anymore. And so in, in my dream there, I'm stopped, and I'm just, I'm wheezing on this stairway. I don't think I'm going to be able to to make it all the way up to heaven when I hear this commotion behind me and then in my dream I turn around and look and they're chugging up the stairway up behind me is Monty and and I said hey hey Monty it's me Luke and he said hey Luke what's going on I said man I'm I'm just so out of breath I don't think I'm going to be able to make it up up all these stairs and you guys know Monty he's he's not the biggest guy but he's got the biggest heart you know and so he said no problem Luke tell you what hop on my back I'll carry you so I said, all right man you sure and and but I, I hopped on Monty's back there and then in my dream Monty carried me all the way up these stairs all the way to heaven and and we get there and St. Peter threw open the pearly gates and he said hey Luke welcome come on in you can park your donkey over there <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, kind of. Uh, <laughs> hey, um, just before we jump in, I do want to let you know how grateful I am for you that uh, I talk to Monty French almost every single day, and so I get to hear a lot of the stories of what God is doing here at Marion Road Christian Church. And I am so grateful that God brought Monty here, that God gave him to you and you to him, and that he brought Whitney together. And I want you to know that we down in Indianapolis pray for you all every single week, and we will continue to do so. We are so, so grateful for this church, and it's a blessing to get to be with you here this morning. When I came up uh, for the wedding yesterday, somehow in, in the middle of the the travel from Indianapolis I realized I'd forgotten my belt for the wedding and so uh, you know classic kind of thing and so I I mentioned it offhand to Whitney while we were moving some stuff in and out of Monty and Witt's house and Witt said no problem you can just go borrow one of Monty's belts and I thought have you looked at me have you looked at him I'm not sure this whole thing's gonna work he's a toothpick you know Um, but but she said no problem and and she took me back there to their closet to Monty's closet to get a belt and when I opened Monty's closet there on the floor of his closet was this big box full of stacks of cash. 
I mean money just overflowing with three eggs sitting on top of the box. And I thought, what in the world? I mean, I knew Marion Road Christian Church. I knew you all were a generous church, but this seems a little over the top. You know, I didn't quite. So I said, Whitney, what in the world is this? She said, oh, well, you know, every time Monty preaches a bad sermon, you know, like really lays an egg up there, I, I, I get an egg and, and I put it in the box. And I thought, well, I mean, he's been here a few years now, three eggs, only three bad sermons. That's, that's not bad. She said, well, no, every time I get a dozen eggs, I sell them and put the money in the box too. So <laughs> I'll be done now. Uh, <laughs> Hey, listen, I may lay an egg up here this morning, but God's word never does. Isaiah chapter 55 says that every time God's word goes out from his mouth, it does not come back to him in void, but it always accomplishes the purpose for which he has sent it. And so it's a privilege to get to open God's word with you this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 18, but before you turn there, would you join me in prayer? Our Father in heaven, how good and sweet it is to be gathered together with your people Um, that we get to be one church bonded across state lines and generational lines and ethnic lines and lines of background and preference and personality, that we are all one in Christ Jesus today. What a gift. And as Fred echoed, we we just pray your richest blessings on Monty and Whitney and their family for generations to come. And we ask, Lord, that you would speak clearly to us today. We always know you speak through your words, so give us ears to hear and hearts willing to obey. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said... Amen, amen, amen. Luke chapter 18 is where we're going to be, Luke chapter 18. You all have been in a series for a while now called Jesus Stories, where Monty's been walking you through some of these parables that Jesus told, that that when Jesus was a teacher, a preacher himself, he was not a boring one. He could have just come down and given us a lecture about who he was. Jesus could have given us a three-point outline to describe his kingdom. He could have given us a PowerPoint presentation about what was expected for those who follow him, but Jesus didn't do that. Instead, when Jesus taught, he told stories. He said, if you want to know what God is like, God's like a shepherd who leaves 99 sheep behind just because one little sheep got lost. He said, God, God's like a woman who lost the coin and she swept the whole house looking for it and threw a party for the whole neighborhood when she found it. God is like a dad whose kid has betrayed him time and time and time again. But no matter how many times that dad gets stabbed in the back, he's waiting for that to return and throws a party when his son comes home. That's, that's what God is like. And, and Jesus said, the kingdom, if you want to know what the kingdom is like, the, kingdom, the kingdom's like a little mustard seed that takes root and then it grows. He says the kingdom is like a little pinch of, of yeast in a batch of dough. The kingdom is like a... It's like a a buried treasure in a field, and and a man finds it, and so he sells everything that he has to go buy that field. And if you want to know what God expects of those who are in his kingdom, well, imagine, imagine ten virgins waiting on the bridegroom to get back. Imagine... Imagine a rich man who ignores the poor and he winds up in hell. Imagine, imagine a guy who built his house on a foundation of quicksand. Imagine, imagine a servant whose debt has just been forgiven. When Jesus taught, he loved to tell stories. So without further ado, let's dive into today's Jesus story, Luke chapter 18. As we do, as we walk through this story, we're going to ask two questions of this text together. Question number one I want you to ask in your mind is, what does Jesus tell us about God? 
And question number two that I want you to ask in your mind is what does Jesus tell us about what he wants from us? Keep those two questions in your mind as we read the text together. Here's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 18, verses one through eight. It says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So let's go back to our two questions that we're asking of this story together. Question number one, what does Jesus tell us here about God? Is Jesus telling us that God is an unjust judge? Is he telling us that that when we pray, is God begrudging my request? Is God leaving your text messages unanswered? Is he blocking your number? Is he leaving your email unread in his inbox? Is God an unjust judge? Judge, is that what Jesus is saying? And he says, no, 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 no. This, this is a contrast, Jesus says. He, he says after this story, no, God does love to bring justice and he brings it quickly even. God loves to listen to his chosen ones, Jesus says. You might remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says when you knock on God's door, he's not going to ignore it. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. The one who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. When you knock on God's door, he's not going to leave you hanging. The door will be opened. What does Jesus tell us about God? He tells us that God loves to answer prayer. It's a simple truth, but I hope you believe it. God loves to answer prayer. What about question number two? What does Jesus tell us here in this story about what he wants from us? Well, you might remember at the end, Jesus says, but when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? What does Jesus want from us? He wants to find faith. At the very beginning of this story, Luke, the author, clues us into why Jesus told this story in the very beginning. He says that Jesus told them this story so that they would always pray and never give up. Always pray and never give up. I would like to challenge you this morning to a life of persistent prayer. A life of persistent prayer. And and to do that, we could talk about prayer in a number of different ways together today. We could talk about the promises that Jesus gives us for how God answers our prayers. We could all sit around the story or the room today. I'm sure we could tell countless stories of ways that God has answered prayers in our lives. But, But those aren't necessarily the point of this particular Jesus story. I think Jesus tells us this particular story to get to that feeling that you and I probably both know, the feeling of knocking on God's door and it seems like he's ignoring us. This story 
is about when we pray and it seems like God is silent. If you're a mom with young kids, silence may be golden. <laughs> but I think most of us in the room probably know that feeling of a deeper, darker silence. The silence when you pour out your heart to God asking for things that you think are good and yet you pray and you pray and you pray and it seems like your words just bounce off the ceiling. And so you ask these questions like, does, does God not care about me? Is he, is he even listening? Is he even strong enough to do something about it if he was listening? Did, did I do something wrong? What about when you feel like you're the widow knocking on the judge's door and it seems like he's not listening? So when it feels like God is silent, there's three things I want you to remember today. Here's thing number one. When it feels like God is silent, remember who he is. Remember who he is. I don't know if you've heard the one about the fellow who was walking through the woods one day just going on a hike and he heard a, a rustling in the brush behind him and he turned around and there's a big old grizzly bear. And so he, he just takes off running. I don't know if that's technically what you're supposed to do. I think you're supposed to like act big and tough when a grizzly bear comes, but I don't know about you, I'd be running. So this guy's running, 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 running from the bear, but, but he looks behind him and the bear's aiming on him and the bear's catching up and finally he's out of breath, he's huffing and puffing, he doesn't think he can run anymore. And so just right before the bear gets to him, the man does the last thing he can possibly think of. He drops to his knees right there in the middle of the woods and he blurts out the first prayer that comes to his mind. He says, God... Please make this a Christian bear. <laughs> and to his amazement, all the, the, the pawing and the grunting behind him stops. It's totally quiet. The man turns around to look. The bear's still there. But now the bear's down on his knees. And he hears the bear say, Dear Lord, we thank you for this food we are about to eat. <laughs> <laughs> When you pray, <laughs> I want you to remember who God is. That God is not just up there going to play a joke on you when you pour out your heart to him. That God is not just going to give you some cruel twist of fate. When you pray, even if you don't get the answer you think you should get, you have to remember that God is still good and that he is still strong and that he still loves you. Because in the silence, when you pray and it feels like God is silent, the enemy will take advantage of that and he would like to speak to you. And the enemy will whisper awful things in your ear. He'll say, God's not listening. He might not even be there. Why would he listen to you if he was? He doesn't care. I remember the moment so clearly when I was sitting there my freshman year of college, the same year I met Monty, and I was sitting in the hospital room with my mom when the doctor walked in and they said, it's cancer. And I wasn't expecting that word. And I didn't know what to do with that word. And I remember later that night as we gathered there in the living room of our home and we were praying, because that's the only thing we knew how to do. And my uncle prayed, Lord, we thank you for what you are going to do through this. And I thought, are you kidding me? What? How could you have the audacity? You know, but he was right. He was right. 
that even in that moment when we had no idea what was going to happen or how or when or if those prayers would be answered, he remembered that God was still good. And when it feels like God is silent in your prayers, the first thing you need to remember is you need to remember that God has spoken to us and he has revealed his goodness to us once and for all in the cross of Jesus Christ. And you can rest in knowing that at the end of the day, even when it seems like he's silent, his word is so unmistakably clear that at the very core of God's heart, he's a good father and he loves his children and he loves you and he's proven it by sending his son to die on your behalf and he knows you and he wants what is best for you and he is working all things together for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose and you can trust him no matter what. So when it feels like God is silent, remember who he is, that's the first thing. And here's the second thing. When it feels like God is silent, remember what he says. Remember what he says. When we pray, we want the answer to our prayers to be an automatic yes, don't we? And God does love to say yes, but it is okay to also remember that sometimes God says no. And that's a good thing too. I can remember in sixth grade staring googly-eyed at Abby Jeffries sitting in the front row on the right side of the classroom in Mrs. Bertelson's class. And oh man, I prayed fervently. It was my first experience with fervent prayer. Lord, let me marry Abby Jeffries. But if you met my wife, Rebecca, today, you would know that God gave me what is best. And as the world-renowned theologian Garth Brooks says, (laughs) some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. (laughs) You know, God's not a genie. We don't get to rub a magic lamp and he pops out and do whatever we tell him to do. Sometimes God says no, and that's a good thing. And we see this even in the life of Jesus. And Jesus didn't do anything wrong. Jesus lived a life of devoted, persistent prayer. Jesus saw many incredible answers to his prayers. Jesus was one with God the Father, and yet God the Father even said no to Jesus himself. In the Garden of Gethsemane, on that Friday night, when Jesus knew that he was on his way to the cross, he got down on his knees and he sweat great drops of blood and he prayed, Father, if there's any other way, please take this cup from me. I don't want this. And God said no. And so Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. Sometimes God says, no. Now, if you're anything like me, maybe you hear that and you're thinking, okay, so if God says no, then why pray? Like if God's just gonna do whatever he wants anyway, what's the point? Well, what if the point of prayer wasn't just to get God to do what we wanted him to do? What if the point of prayer was to draw us close to him? What if the point of prayer was to make our hearts more like him, to train our hearts to say, as Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. Remember what God says when it feels like God is silent. Sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says no. And other times, we may think he's saying no, when really he's just saying not yet. Sometimes God says yes, sometimes God says no, and sometimes God says not yet. And why in the world would God do that? Because of what he wants. That's the third thing. When God seems silent, remember who he is, remember what he says, and remember what he wants. That sometimes God says not yet because he wants us to persevere. He wants us to come back to his door and knock again. He wants to find faith on the earth. He wants us, as Jesus said, to keep on praying and never give up. 
You might have heard the name George Mueller before. George Mueller ran an orphanage in England back in the 1800s. Looks like Monty's going to look in a few decades, I think. <laughs> George Mueller was a great man of prayer. He persevered in prayer. There's a story that's told that one day as he was running the orphanage, he had no milk for the children's breakfast. And so George Mueller didn't go to the store to look for milk. He didn't send somebody out on the street to raise some money. He started to pray. And as he prayed, there was a milk wagon that broke its axle right there at the street corner. The driver was unable to finish delivering his load. He was afraid that the milk would spoil. And so he donated his whole load to the orphanage. There's another time that George Mueller, they got 28 new orphans there in the orphanage and they had no plates to feed them on. So what did George Mueller do? He started to pray. He began to pray. And as he prayed, there was a woman who was moving into a new home and she came to the door of the orphanage with a donation of kitchen supplies. When they opened her donation, they found 28 spoons and 28 forks and 28 knives and 28 cups and 28 bowls and 28 plates. Now, that doesn't mean that God answered all of George Mueller's prayers immediately. He had to learn to keep on praying and never give up. One time, George Mueller wrote these words. He says, the great point is to never give up until the answer comes. Toward the end of his life, George Mueller said, he said this. He said, I've been praying for 63 years and eight months for one man's conversion. And he has not converted yet, but he will be. George Mueller died, but before he was buried, before his body was in the ground, that man that he prayed for for all those years became a Christian. Keep on knocking on God's door. Keep on praying. Never give up. 300 years ago, there was a rich young man in Germany by the name of Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf. And yes, I've practiced that name all week. <laughs> We'll call him Count von Zinzendorf for short, even though it's not very short. And, and Count von Zinzendorf, he loved Jesus. He didn't just believe in Jesus. He loved Jesus. He loved Jesus so much that he decided to use this huge estate that he inherited to create a safe place for refugees to come. First, he welcomed just one refugee on his estate. Then he welcomed a handful more. Eventually, a few hundred refugees showed up and lived there on his property. And so he just decided, well, I guess we'll just create a little village for you. So he founded this little town on his property where people could come and they could worship Jesus freely. Of course, like any gathering of believers, it wasn't long before that little village was split up by bickering and division because people have always been people. And Count von Zinzendorf, he didn't really know how to deal with that conflict. He was only 27 years old. Thank goodness Monty's 28. He's so much wiser, right? But, but Count von Zinzendorf, he said, what I do know how to do is I know how to visit people's homes and I know how to pray. And so Count von Zinzendorf brought the village together and they all came together just to pray one evening. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed late into the night and they just kept on praying and they didn't stop. Those people kept praying in that room with that same fire burning in that same fireplace for over a hundred years. Around the clock, 24-7 in shifts, men and women and even the little children of this little village on that little property kept that same fire burning and that same prayer meeting going around the clock for a hundred years. They sought God together. And the waves of their devotion swept across the world. This little group called themselves the Moravians. And about six months into that prayer meeting, Count von Zinzendorf felt that the Lord was leading them to send some missionaries around the world. And, 
Please understand that was before the modern missions movement. Things like sending missionaries, that was unheard of in those days. But that little village did it. 26 of those Moravians stepped up and said that they would be willing to go wherever Jesus led them. And so they did. They went to the West Indies and to Turkey and to Georgia and to Amsterdam and to the Native Americans and to Romania and to Greenland and to Constantinople and all over the continent of Africa. And by the time Count von Zinzendorf died, that little group of Moravians had sent 226 missionaries around the world from a little village on a property in Germany of 600 people. And the modern missions movement was born. And the devotion of the Moravians was world-renowned. It was so fierce that they would even be willing to sell themselves into slavery in order to go minister to enslaved peoples around the world who were otherwise unreachable. And the whole time this is happening, that little village in Germany kept praying. That prayer meeting kept going. They kept seeking God. They kept the fire burning, knocking on the God's door, never giving up. Well, during that time, there was one particular little group of Moravian missionaries who were on a on a ship sailing across the Atlantic to come to the colony of Georgia over here on our continent. And while they were in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, a big storm came up and suddenly it snapped the main mast of the ship in half. The passengers on the ship all started to panic. They all did except for the Moravians. One of these panicked passengers on the ship saw the courage of the Moravians and he was deeply impressed. And another time he saw one of the Moravian fathers burying his child. And he was amazed to see this father praising God even in the face of such pain. And this passenger on the ship, he wondered, these people, what is it about them? What, what makes them different? He wanted what they had. That man's name was John Wesley. He went back to one of those Moravians' meetings and he became a follower of Jesus. And the whole time this is happening, that little village back in Germany kept praying. They kept knocking on God's door. They never gave up. They kept that fire burning. Well, John Wesley, he went on to become a preacher. And my wife and I actually named our youngest son after him. And that fire, it kept burning in Wesley's heart. He was deeply broken by the secularism, the half-hearted religion that he saw around him in his home country of England. And so he started to preach and he started to call the Christians in England to wake up. And the churches didn't like that very much, and so they kicked him out, but he didn't stop preaching. He preached in the fields, and people flocked from miles and miles around, and they began to wake up, and they devoted themselves to prayer, and as they did, this revival movement swept across the country of England. It was called the Great Awakening. And the Great Awakening swept all the way across the Atlantic Ocean. It became the greatest revival that this continent has ever seen. Hundreds of thousands of people surrendering to Jesus. John Wesley went on to found the Methodist movement. You see Methodist churches around today. Well, a few decades later after that, on the college campuses of the freshly formed country of the United States of America, a little group of these Methodists, these people who based their lives on the teaching of John Wesley, they started to pray. And God did amazing things. In the year 1797, there were less than 10 Christians on the campus of Yale University. But when that small little group of Methodists on Yale's campus began to pray, within five years, a third of the student body had become Christians. And college campuses all across the country were transformed and the second great awakening was born. And all the while, back in Germany, that little village kept praying. They kept the fire burning. They kept knocking on God's door. They kept on praying and they never give up. Perhaps the greatest event of the Second Great Awakening was known as the Cane Ridge Revival. 
It happened in the year 1801 down near the Kentucky-Tennessee border. And people from different churches came to take communion together, to pray and to seek the Lord together. And a revival movement broke out. 20,000 people showed up. Services were held around the clock. I've been to Cane Ridge, Kentucky. I've stood in the pulpit where that happened. And from that revival on that particular week was born a little group of frontier churches from different denominations who wanted to get back to God's word together, back to unity together, back to praying together. And they called themselves the Restoration Movement. That was 1801, and all the while that little village in Germany is still praying. And just a few decades after that, when the first European settlers came into this area of southern Minnesota, they started a little church. I believe the year was 1866. And now you and I are here today in Marion Road Christian Church. You can go see the little communion vessels out there that that little group of people used, all because that little village in Germany kept praying. Because one man got the people together and he said, hey, we're going to keep on praying and we're never going to give up. We're going to keep on knocking on God's door and keep the fire burning. Can you imagine what God would do if we became a group of people like that? I'll close with one story. Uh, Story in a book I read, the author tells the story about two men. Men's names were Doug and Bob. Doug runs a ministry in Washington, D.C., and Bob was an insurance salesman. Well, Bob became a brand new Christian, and he started reading the Bible, and he got really excited about some of the things he read, especially when he read what Jesus said, that Jesus said, ask whatever you will in my name, and you shall receive it. And Bob thought, whoa, that's incredible. I'll let the author take it from here. He writes it like this. Bob Bob went up and asked Doug. He said, is that really true? And Doug said, well, listen, prayer is not like a, it's not a blank check. You have to take it in context and the teachings of the whole scripture on prayer, of course. But yes, yes, it really is true. Jesus does love to answer prayer. Bob said, great, I got to start praying for something. I think I'm going to pray for Africa. Well, it's kind of a broad target, Doug said. But why don't you narrow it down and just, just pray for one country? Okay, Bob said, and I'll, I'll pray for Kenya. Do you know anybody in Kenya? Doug said. No. Bob said, ever been to Kenya? No. He just wanted to pray for Kenya. And so Doug made an unusual arrangement with Bob. He challenged Bob to pray every day for six months for Kenya. And if Bob would do that and nothing extraordinary happened, then Doug would pay him $500. But if something remarkable did happen, then Bob would have to pay Doug $500. And if Bob did not pray every day, then the whole deal was off. So Bob began to pray. And for a long while, nothing happened. But then one night, Bob was at a dinner in Washington, and the people around the table were explaining what they did for a living. And one woman said she helped run an orphanage in Kenya, the largest of its kind. And Bob kind of saw $500 sprout wings and (laughs) fly away, you know. But he couldn't keep quiet. Bob roared to life. He, had so, he hadn't said much up to this point, but now he, he, he just pounded this woman relentlessly with question after question. And she said, well, you're obviously very interested in my country. She was overwhelmed by this sudden barrage of questions. She said, so you've, you've been to Kenya before? Bob said, no. Do you know someone in Kenya? Bob said, no. Then why are you so curious, she asked. Bob said, well, listen, somebody's kind of paying me $500 to to pray. (laughs) And so she asked if Bob would like to come visit. 
Kenya and to take a tour of the orphanage. And Bob was so eager to go, he would have left that very night if he could. And so Bob went. And when Bob arrived in Kenya, he was appalled by the poverty that he saw and the lack of basic health care. And so when he got back to Washington, he, see, he, he just couldn't get the place out of his mind. And he began to write letters to these large pharmaceutical companies describing to them the vast need that he had seen And he reminded these companies that every year they would throw away large amounts of medical supplies that went unsold. And so he said to these companies, he said, why not just send them to this place in Kenya? And some of them did. That orphanage received more than a million dollars worth of medical supplies. Well, when they got all this, the woman called Bob up and she said, Bob, this is, <laughs> this is amazing. We, we've had the most phenomenal gifts because of these letters that you wrote. We'd like to fly you back over here to Kenya and have a big party. Will you come? And so Bob flew back to Kenya. And while he was there, the president of Kenya came to the celebration because it was the largest orphanage in the whole country. And the president of Kenya offered to take Bob on a tour of Nairobi, the capital city. And over the course of the tour, they saw a prison. And and so Bob asked about the group of prisoners that were there. And he was told, well, they're political prisoners. That's a bad idea, Bob said brightly. (laughs) You should let them out. Bob finished the tour, flew home. Sometime later, Bob receives a call from the State Department of the United States government. Is this Bob? Yes. Were you recently in Kenya? Yes. Did you make any statements to the president about political prisoners? Yes. What did you say? I told him he should let them out. Well, the State Department official went on to explain that the department had been working for years to secure the release of those particular prisoners to no avail. Normal diplomatic channels and political maneuverings had led to a dead end. But now, the prisoners had been released and the State Department had been told that it was largely because of Bob. (laughs) So the government was calling just to say thanks. Now, several, several uh, months later, the president of Kenya himself made a phone call to Bob. He was going to rearrange his government and select a new cabinet. So he asked, would Bob be willing to fly back over to Kenya and pray for the president for three days while he worked on this very important task? And so Bob, a man who was not politically connected at all, boarded a plane and flew back to Kenya where he prayed and asked God to grant wisdom for the leader of a nation as he selected his government. Keep on praying and never give up. And when God seems silent, remember who he is, remember what he says, and remember what he wants. He wants you to keep knocking on his door. When he looks at the heart of Marion Road Christian Church, when he looks at your heart, he wants to find faith. He wants us to keep on praying and never give up. So, I'm going to give you the Bob challenge. Sound okay? All right, here's my challenge. I want you to start praying for something. Whether you have been in church your whole life or whether this is your very first time and you don't even know what is going on, I want you to start praying for something. Make it specific. Pick one place or one person, one neighbor, one family member, one situation, whatever it is that God puts on your heart. Pray for one thing every single day for six months. And if you pray for that thing every day for six months and nothing happens, then Monty French will give you $500. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm pretty sure he won't, but, and I won't either for the record. But if something extraordinary does happen, you have to tell me about it. Sound like a deal? All right, let's pray.
Our Father in heaven, how good it is that we get to call you Father and that we get to stand before you. Lord, if we, if we had to show you a resume to get ushered into your presence, uh, none of us would stand a chance, but we get to come before you today through the blood of Jesus. And scripture tells us that we get to come boldly before your throne because it is a throne of grace. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your son Jesus, what he has done for us and dying for us and rising again to new life and filling us with his Holy Spirit. We thank you for him. We thank you for what you have done. And Lord, uh, even as Fred mentioned, I know in this room there's a lot of questions, a lot of fears, doubts. There's anxiety and there's worry. There's hopes and there's dreams and there's joys and there's unfulfilled longings. Lord, you know all these things in our hearts. And so we're just laying them before you. And we're asking you to do what is best. Not, not our will, but yours be done. And when it does seem like you are silent and when we don't have answers to all the questions, my prayer for my friends here in this room is that they would remember how good you are, that they would remember what you have said, and that they would become people of persistent prayer, that we would keep knocking and never give up. And we're trusting that you're going to open the door. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.